Well, grace and peace to you from the God who is, who was, and is still yet to come. Amen. Well, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Favorites. And during this time when we're looking at favorites, those of us who were going to preach were allowed to choose the text we wanted to preach on, or the topic, or maybe a sermon that we had preached before. So today we're going to look at a question that often I am faced with. People come to my, oftentimes, to my office oftentimes when they're going through tough things. Maybe they've had a death in the family. Maybe they're going through a health crisis or have a problem with a child. Maybe they've lost their job. And one of the questions they ask me usually is this, where is God? Or where was God when? And you fill in the blank. So we're going to unpack that question today. But we're also going to look at a second question, and it's equally important. Is God only good when the outcomes are good? Is God only good when the outcomes are good? So I want us to look at our text for today, Deuteronomy 32.10. I will find you in the desert, in the barren, howling wasteland. I will surround you and watch over you. I will guard you as the apple of my eye. Now, when you think about deserts, what do you think about? Because that's what he's talking about, a desert here. You think of someplace hot and dry and barren and miserable. Maybe it's like the Sahara Desert, or maybe it's like Death Valley. But the largest desert in the whole world is the Antarctic. Hard to believe it, but a desert is defined by precipitation, not by heat. So any place that receives less than 10 inches of rain each year is classified as a desert. The Antarctic only receives about 2 inches of snow each and every year. Now, why all this talk about geography and weather in the Antarctic? You're probably wondering, what's the tie-in here? Well, it's to make a point. We all go through what I call desert seasons, or deserts of the soul, or maybe a spiritual desert, however you want to term it. And a spiritual desert happens when the heat is turned up in our life, and everything seems to be barren and fruitless. Could be a financial problem, could be a broken relationship, could be grief, it could be an illness that you have, but whatever it is, the sun is beating down on you, and you don't seem to be able to get a break. You're so thirsty for the living water that Jesus can give to your soul. And so your prayer this day is this, God, where are you? God, where are you? This isn't the way my life was supposed to end up. The desert of the soul can also be like the Antarctic when the heart turns cold and you feel burnt out and maybe you're even angry at God. Maybe you've been disappointed one too many times by your family or friends or even your spouse or your kids. You might feel like your dreams have just been shattered. Maybe you have no passion in your life. Maybe you're angry at God for what he did do or something he didn't do for you. And if that's you today, then your prayer might be something like this. God, I just don't care anymore. God, I just don't care anymore. Another kind of scientific measurement for the desert is this. It receives more evaporation than precipitation. 
So here's what happens if we equate that to our lives. We have more going out in our life than coming in. Maybe there's too many commitments in your life. Maybe you've said yes way too many times, and I know some of us really have a hard time saying no, but we've got to start practicing saying no. Maybe there's too many voices calling for your attention. You know, too many plants to water and not enough water to water any of them. Maybe you've got too many activities with your kids. The school year is just starting up, and I know some, of your par some parents are just going, oh, no, sports again. Now we're going to be doing everything, running here, running there. It's not that it's bad. It's just that you have so much going out and not enough coming in. You don't have time to pray. You don't have time to even listen to each other or to God. And you don't even have enough time to sleep. You get up in the morning and you're so exhausted. It feels like not enough rain has fallen in your soul for a really long time. And any rain that does fall in your soul evaporates just like that. It doesn't soak in. Oh, you want to be refreshed and refilled. You want to be filled up again and again to feel better every day. And then your prayer would be this. God, I just don't have anything left to give. God, I have nothing left to give. I'm empty and I'm thirsty. This is what happens when we walk in deserts. Those are the three questions we generally are faced with right now in our lives. All of us have different things going on. And I think about how God spoke to many people in the desert. He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Jacob. He spoke to Moses and Elijah, and God led Jesus into the desert as well. And God spoke to David many times in the desert. In fact, David wrote Psalm 63, the one that I just read, in the desert of Judah. He was being pursued by Saul. Now, Saul was an awful guy. Saul was trying to kill him. So David is running through the desert trying to get away from Saul, and he wrote this psalm. Talk about having the heat turned up in your life, right? Some guy's trying to kill you, and yet he says these words to us. Maybe they resonate with you. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Does that sound familiar? Does that resonate with some of you today? Maybe you find yourself in a desert. You know, I've met God in many desert seasons in my life. And I found there's certain questions I tend to ask again and again. You'd think I would learn, right? These are the questions I usually ask. How did I get here? And then there's the why question. Why did this happen to me? And then once I settle into that desert season and I realize it's not going to be a shortcut to get out of it, I usually say, what am I supposed to learn while I'm going through this, Lord? Help me to figure out what I need to learn from this. And then I usually ask this question, and it's one I don't like to ask because I don't like the answer usually. Lord, when am I going to get out of here? When am I going to be free of this desert again? Ooh. And the answer to that is in due time in due time. It's in God's hands and in his timing, not our own. You know, sometimes God does lead you and I into a desert to teach us something. 
So we don't want to ever be in a hurry. We don't want to rush out of that desert season either. We want to spend time with the Lord, understanding how we got there, what we need to learn from it, and then how we move on. And sometimes, to be honest with you, the only way God can get our attention is by bringing us into a desert. One desert moment happened to me the summer of 2012. Many of you probably remember that time. I was out of work for seven weeks from Calvary. I had excruciating pain on my left side. On a scale of 1 to 10, it was like a 20. And it took them about five and a half weeks to finally figure out what was wrong with me. In and out of the hospital, one test after another, one doctor to another doctor to another specialist. Some just shook their head and said, we don't know what's wrong with you. They finally diagnosed me with something called acnes, abdominal cutaneous nerve entrapment syndrome. I will tell you those seven weeks were the longest weeks of my life. I started out being fairly angry with God because I was busy. I had lots of things to do. I didn't have time for this, you know, really. Seriously, Lord, I'm doing your work here. Come on, get rid of this pain in my side. Remember Paul asking three times to have the pain removed from his side? God didn't remove his pain, so I wasn't sure what was going to happen here. But I will tell you, I was very angry. I wrestled with God, and he wrestled with me. But I also know that I was surrounded by community during that tough time. Many of you sent cards to my home, giving me Bible verses and encouragement and hope. I know many of you were praying for me. And I know many of you also wanted to come over and bring food and bring things. And I even had one person who actually slept on the couch. I hardly knew her at that time. And she slept on the couch for about a month, every single night. Why? So she could speak hope into my life. So she could also take care of me and make sure that I knew that there was someone there at night in the watches of the night to answer those questions I had and to also help me deal with the why God question. But she also was there, I know, to protect me from myself. Because you see, one of my crying out prayers at that point was, God, if you're not going to remove this, take me home now. End my life. This isn't worth it. And when you start having those kinds of feelings, you need people surrounding you and prayer. That's the beauty of Christian community. Well, eventually, they did figure it out, and they were able to treat it, and I was able to come back to work, and I have not had any pain in my left side since. Praise be to God. But I'm not going to pretend with you that there's any quick fixes or easy answers to whatever you might be going through. You see, desert seasons of our lives are hard. They're just hard, plain, and simple. We all know that. But here's what I also want you to know. God did not cause my illness. God did not cause the acnes I received. But God did use it. God used it to work on my heart, to transform my heart, to help me grow in faith and understanding that he was walking with me. Well, let's move on to Psalm 63, verses 6 through 8. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Well, what do you think about the watches of the night. Those are those nights when you can't sleep, when you're looking up at the ceiling and going, I just need to go to sleep. I need to go to sleep. Or maybe you get up and pace a little bit. That's what they're talking about. But maybe we should consider what David did. Stop, think, and remember. 
think about what God has already done for you. Take an inventory of your life. Think about his past acts of love and his faithfulness. Ask some questions. How has he provided for you in the past? How has he protected you in the past? How has he answered your prayers in the past? How has he been faithful to you over all these years? Don't think about the prayers he hasn't answered yet. But think about what he has already done for you and then start thanking him for it. Now, I know it's really hard when you're going through something to thank God for things that are going on, but you need to thank him for what he's already done. And sometimes I do what's called a thankfulness day. The moment I get out of bed, instead of saying, oh, no, I got to get up, I say, Lord, thank you for this soft, warm bed. And then I go in the bathroom and I say, oh, Lord, thank you for indoor plumbing. And thank you for a warm shower. Thank you for the microwave that heats up my oatmeal. All those things, thanking him. And when you thank him, it changes your heart. So you see, as we stop, as we think and we remember it, it helps to build up our faith in the current situation that we're going through. David says in verse 8, My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. Now, the word cling in Hebrew actually means to catch by pursuit. It's a chasing after God. It's a, a stubborn refusal, if you will. He's saying, I'm holding on to you, and you are holding on to me. And if we stop, and if we think, and if we remember, it's going to help our souls to cling to him through our painful seasons in our lives. You know, sometimes the Lord leads us straight into a desert. Now, of course, you can also get into a desert by deliberate disobedience, right? We do have free will, and sometimes we choose poorly, don't we? The Israelites, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness because of their disobedience. Sometimes, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's in your heart as, and you know him as Lord and Savior, sometimes he will lead you into a desert time. Think about how he led Abraham and Moses and Elijah and Jesus into their deserts. He leads you there because he has something to say to you, something you maybe couldn't hear any other way. In those seven weeks of illness in 2012, though the Lord didn't cause it, while I was in that desert, I asked those tough questions. God had my full attention at that point, didn't he? Sometimes a desert is a way for God to just get that attention. But you need to know there's a great hope in the desert. There is hope there. And I want us to look at a passage from Hosea. God is speaking about the nation of Israel here, but I think we can apply it to our lives as well. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her a vineyard and will make the valley of Acre a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. 
I will sing to the skies, and they will sing to the earth, and the earth will sing to the grain, and the new wine and oil, and they will sing to my people. Hosea 2, verses 14 through 22. Now, you notice the word sing is in brackets. It's because the NIV actually uses the word respond there. But in, if you actually look in Hebrew, that word also means sing. And when you replace that word with the word sing rather than respond, it kind of changes it a little bit. God says there in the desert, I'm going to restore your vineyards. And then you will sing to me once again. Isn't that just a beautiful promise of restoration and faithful, fruitfulness? And then he says, I will turn your valley of acre into a door of hope. Now, what on earth is that all about? Well, we first read about Acre in Joshua chapter 7, right after the Israelites have won the battle of Jericho. And they've gone into this little city called Ai, and they lose the battle. And Joshua doesn't understand why, and he's on the ground throwing dirt on his head, and he says these words to God, Why did this happen? Where were you? Sounds familiar, right? And God talks to him. And I love this. Joshua 7, verse 10. You've got to just love God. Here's what he said. What are you doing on the ground? Get up. <laughs> and then he goes on and the Lord explains why they lost the battle. There are things in your possession that I ordered you to destroy. You've got some idols in your camp. Got any idols in your camp? Are other things taking precedence over your walk with the Lord? Are you watching too many reruns or are you binging on Netflix? Maybe you're playing too much Fortnite or maybe you have too many commitments. Anything that keeps you from the Lord can become an idol. Well, what happened here was a man named Achan, he uh, took treasure out of Jericho. You see, God told them to destroy Jericho, do not take anything from it, leave everything. Well, Achan disobeyed and he took treasure and buried it in his tent that's why they lost the battle of Ai. Well, this all took place in the valley of Acre. Now, Acre means trouble, so it took place in the valley of trouble. And then Hosea goes on and it says, I will turn, he says, I will turn your valley of Acre into a door of hope. Into a door of hope. Now, think about a door and what it represents. What's a door? A door is a passageway from one room to the other, right? Or from your car, or from inside your car to outside your car. Sometimes God wants to bring you into something new. And in order for him to do this, you often hear about people saying, God closes one door and he opens another. But there's a time lag in there, isn't that? When he closes one door, sometimes it takes a while for us to get to that new door. Sometimes it involves difficulty and stress and decisions that need to be made. God says in chapter 2 of Hosea that your valley of trouble is not a dead end. It's a doorway. It's a doorway to a place of hope and fruitfulness and restoration. Now, the Apostle Paul certainly understood the difference between dead ends and doorways. Paul writes about his own desert experience in 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. I'm going to have us look at that. I want you to pay attention to the punctuation, especially the commas. Now, in Greek, 
In the Greek text, there were no punctuation marks. This is strictly using our English version of the Bible, but I think it helps to make a point. We are hard-pressed on every side, comma, but not crushed. Perplexed, comma, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, comma, but not destroyed. Get the point here? Never put a period where God has put a comma in your life. Never put a period where God has put a comma in your life. Your troubles, your situation, your pain, your suffering are not life sentences. Your valley of acre is not a dead end. Rather, look at it as a doorway, a new beginning. Why? Because your story isn't over yet. God isn't finished with you. He still has plans for you. So you're going to put a comma there. Never put a period where God has put a comma in your life. So let me ask you another question this morning. Which side of the comma are you living on? Are you living on the trouble side of the comma? Or are you living on the trusting side of the comma? You see, on the trouble side of the comma, you are going to be hard-pressed and feel despair and be abandoned today. But if you're living on the trusting side, the right-hand side of the comma, the Bible promises that you will never be abandoned, that God is never going to leave you. And on the trusting side, you may be broke, but you are not poor. Why? Because the Bible claims and tells us that your Father in heaven has cattle on a thousand hills. Amen? You may be knocked down, but you're not knocked out of the race of life. So which side of the comma are you living on? The trouble side or the trusting side today. Let's look at Paul's perspective in 2 Corinthians 4. We do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Did you see that? For our light and momentary troubles. Now this is Paul talking. Now, if you go to 2 Corinthians 11, he outlines all that he's been through. And I think most of you know what Paul went through, didn't you? Don't you? He was beaten. He was persecuted for the faith. He was shipwrecked three times. He oftentimes was hungry and naked with no clothes. And oftentimes went to bed cold. He suffered a lot. Yet here's his words. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. That's what we see around us, right? But what is unseen is eternal. Wow. Talk about a man of faith. But how do you fix your eyes on something that's unseen? Well, what he's talking about are the eyes of our heart, the eyes of faith. And, you know, there was a popular song back in the 2000s, and this is totally going to date me, but maybe you remember that song, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you. That's what he's talking about. And Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, where he talks about the eyes of the heart. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. You see, when the eyes of our heart are enlightened and you begin to see things the way God sees them, it fills your heart with hope. And then you can say, ah, Lord, I get it. 
Now I see, now I understand. It changes your perspective. So don't see trouble as a dead end. See it as a doorway. God goes on in Isaiah 41 and says this, Do not be afraid, for I myself will help you. I will make rivers flow from barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. Your desert may seem like a place of desolation, not joy, but God promises to make it a place of restoration. Now here comes that second question. Is God only good when the outcomes are good? You know, when you get the good report from the doctor that says your cancer's in remission, we say God is good. When we get that pay raise or that promotion, what do we say? God is so good. When your kid makes the varsity team, you say, oh, God is so good. When the twins or the Vikings win, we also praise God and we say God is so good all the time. But... What happens when we go through tough things? You know, many people have what I call a contractual agreement with God. And these are kind of dangerous, and people will never admit that they do it. But here's how it kind of goes, and maybe some of you know people like this. Oh, I praise you, Lord. I, you are my Lord and Savior of my life. And, you know, I'm going to come to church every Sunday. I'm going to help out, and I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to make sure my kids go to Grace Place. I'm going to make sure that I can help out as much as I can. I'm going to pray, and I'm even going to go to a Bible study. And then, Lord, I'm going to tithe the full 10%. And then in exchange for that, Lord, I will have a good life. I won't get sick. My kids will prosper. I won't get cancer. God, you do your part, and I do my part. Dangerous ground, folks. Dangerous ground when we start doing those ultimatums to God. But many people live that way. What happens then when your expectations of what God should do doesn't come out the way you thought they should? You know, it's easy to say God is good when times are good, but boy, it's a different story when your refrigerator is bare or you don't have a job and you don't know how you're going to pay your mortgage payment the next month. It's real easy when things are good, but when things are going the wrong way, it's a lot harder to praise God during those times. Now, I know it's not an easy question, especially when we're going through tough times, but this also leads to a deeper question about the nature of God and how we view God and what his attributes are and what his identity is. You see, the lens that we view God through will determine how we answer that question. Scripture tells us that God works for the good of those who love him and those according to his purpose. In all things, God works for the good. And that's what I hope that you believe today. The question is not whether you're going to face tough times or illnesses or pain in your life. The question is, how will I face God during those tough times? So the next time that you're at the intersection of faith and doubt, and you're asking, where is God? I want you to do something. I want you to stand before the cross of Christ. I want you to look up at him. Look at him a crown of thorns on his head. He's nailed to a cross. His body is covered with blood. You look around and you see John and you see Mary, the mother of Jesus, standing right there next to you. And you're thinking, what are they thinking? 
Are they thinking this is good? Is something positive going to ever come out of this? And for three days, they didn't seem like anything good could possibly come out of it. But then God used the ultimate evil to perform the ultimate good, to show us that Jesus is the Savior. He loves you, and Jesus is a conqueror. That which was intended for evil, God used for the ultimate declaration of good for every one of us. Was it easy? No. Was it painful? No. Was it quick? No. Jesus understands your suffering. You need to know that. And just as God was with Jesus, Jesus is with you right now. And yes, he will get you through your tough situation, through the wasteland and the barren desert you're walking through. Now, I don't know what any of you are going through right now, but what I do know is that God is walking with you, and he does know what you're faced with, and he will not abandon you. Do not despair. You know, there's a beauty in Christian community. The beauty of Christian community is that we surround one another when we are going through tough times. We surround each other in prayer. We encourage each other. We speak God's words of hope over each other. And also, we sing. When I can't sing God's praises because I'm going through tough things, guess what? My neighbor on each side of me in the pew is going to lift up songs of praise on my behalf. And that's the beauty of Christian community. So today, I want us to live out that Christian community. I'm going to ask you to do something that for some of you may be a hard kind of piety. Maybe it's something you're not very comfortable with, but I'm going to encourage you to step out of that comfort zone because we want to pray for you, and I want to pray for you. Those of you who are going through a deep valley, whatever it might be, it could be illness, job loss, it could be a broken relationship, it could be any number of things. Whatever you're going through, I want you to stand up or if you can't stand, raise your hand. So if you're going through something, stand up. Okay. You got some have a hand raised. Here's what I want you to do. People around those people, I want you to stand up and lay hands on them. Put, them, put your hands on their shoulder, and I'm going to pray for them. We're gonna all, I'm going to pray for them. But I want them to feel the touch of community, the faith community here. Oh, gracious God, we come to you this day in our brokenness and in our barrenness and the dryness of the deserts we're walking through. Lord Jesus, right now I pray for those people who are standing, those people that are hurting so bad, are going through that dark, tough time in their life. Whatever it is, Lord, you know what they're walking through. I pray, Lord God, that they would never despair, that they would not lose hope, that they would trust that you are the God of healing and you're the God of restoration. Lord God, help us as a community of faith to surround these people. Help us to always speak a good word, speak your word into them, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for those who are surrounding each person, too, who are praying fervently right now for that person. Lord God, fill them and refresh them as well. Lord God, bring us to a new life today. No matter the barrenness that we feel, the hurt, the pain, the situation, Lord God, we lift it up to you. We lay it down at your cross right now. We know, Lord, that you suffered. You suffered greatly for us, and you love us so much. And so, Lord, as we lay down those troubles right at the cross, we know that you are picking them up. 
and you are dealing with them. And you are walking with us, before us, and behind us right now. We pray this in your glorious name. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for those folks that stood up. Lord, when I think of others who are maybe going through grief or illness or loss, I pray that you would be with them, that you would give them hope as well. Lord Jesus, we pray for our ministry partners today. We lift up St. Margaret Mary Catholic Church in Golden Valley and Kinship of Greater Minneapolis. Use them in a mighty way for the gospel of, gospel of Christ to penetrate different areas of the world. And Lord, together we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Following the close of the service, Holy Communion is available. Simply come down the two side diagonal aisles. And here at Calvary, we practice open communion, which simply means if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to the table. This is, and remember that this is his body and his blood given and shed for you. There'll also be a prayer station over here. If anybody has a prayer need, I'd encourage you to go over there. Don't go home without receiving prayer if you've got something on your heart. They would love to pray with you as well. Please stand and receive the blessing.